You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Shall we play a game? Hello, Systematic Geekologists. Welcome to another episode of Systematic Geekology and happy summer, friends. It is the summer season. It is warm outside. We're going to the beach or the mountains or the pool. We're taking vacations. We're taking trips. You know, a big part of summer is the summer blockbuster. And perhaps you hop in a car and you drive to a drive-in and you watch a movie from your car on the big screen. I don't know if you've done that. I've never done that. Other people have done that. It's been popular in the past. It's probably popular now in some places, but we are doing a summer drive-in series. This is the first episode of our series of summer drive-ins. And and the premise uh, is a little different from last season. Last summer, we talked about summer blockbusters and, and shared some of our favorite movies and favorite actors who are part of those movies. Uh, the premise for this series is that uh, one of us on the team, the Systematic Ecology team, our host, picks a movie that we invite one or two others to watch with us at the summer drive-in theater. And it's, it's a blockbuster. It, it, the premise is that it came out in the summer, but it doesn't necessarily have like a franchise label to it. So we're not picking like Star Wars or Indiana Jones or, or these movies that, that have like sequel after sequel after sequel. We're picking like a one-off summer blockbuster for us to watch and to talk about and to share our feelings and first impressions of this movie. Inviting you out there, our listeners, uh, to perhaps watch this movie on your own and let us know what you think about it. So uh, we're going in a little time warp here. Um, we're hopping in my car and I'm inviting James Dimmel and David Pizarro to hop in my car. And it's June 3rd, 1983. And that's the opening day of the movie War Games. And it's Matthew um, Broderick's, one of his first movies. Ali Sheedy's her, one of, one of her first movies uh, way back in 1983. They were like 20 years old playing high schoolers, which is what happens all the time in, in movies. But we're hopping in the car. We're driving to the theater to see this movie War Games, which I feel is pretty um, relevant to our current times and talking about computers, talking about AI, uh, the threat of Russia out there in the world. And so uh, another reason I picked this movie is that I remember watching this movie when I was a kid um, on HBO. It like ran during the summer. So I saw this when I was like 10 or 11 years old in the theater, but then saw it play over and over again on HBO when I was at home. And I'm very curious because I'm inviting two people, two of our hosts to come watch this movie who um, this movie came out way before they were even born. So I am very curious what they think of this very 1980s movie. All right. So um David, how are you doing tonight? How are you doing in the car on the way to the movie? How are you feeling? Uh, pretty good, man. Brought some snacks. It's great time. All right. James, how are you, how are you feeling uh, head, as we head to the movie? Uh, I'm excited. I'm always pumped to go see a good movie. However, I'm a little bit nervous about this movie. The stakes are high. Stakes are high indeed. I was wondering <laughs> uh, how you got me also in your car in June 3rd of 1983, because as you have highlighted, I did not exist. <laughs> Nor was you I did not exist. And, and I was 10 going on 11. So why am I driving? We're all getting arrested. So, uh, <laughs> all, yeah, no one's making it out of their life. 
no one's making it out of it alive. Okay, so let, we got to suspend our disbelief with this movie on many levels. Uh, we get we get to the movie. Uh, we watch this movie, and um, before we share kind of the plot, uh, well, well, I'll share I'll share the plot. I'll share the plot. the The premise is that it's 1983, and you have this high schooler who is a computer wizard. You know, in the classroom, he's a cut up. He's a clown. He doesn't pay attention. He's an underachiever, uh, yet he's super smart when it comes to computers and computing and hacking into computers. So this guy, he um, he finds a back door into a military computer uh, who will reveal a little bit later what the name of this computer is pretty relevant uh, to to one of our co-hosts. Here on systematic ecology, but but he he meets and opens up this computer that's pretty much an AI, AI that can talk back and forth. And what he does, he wants to play a game. Uh, do they play checkers? Do they play tic tac toe? Do they play chess? No, they play thermonuclear war and they pit Russia against USA and they mimic or simulate a nuclear attack from Russia to US and US to Russia. And the government really thinks that a nuclear war is about to, to unleash. So the people in the military who are there at NORAD at ground control are getting ready to launch nukes from USA over and lob them over into Russia because they think they're getting ready to be under attack. So what do they do? Uh, they have to crack this code. Uh, the, the computer, the AI, uh, who's somewhat learning and becomes self-aware, uh, they finally, it, 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 comes to realize that that there's no winners in this game, that there's no winners when it comes to nuclear war. So it kind of shuts down. And there you go. The intensity builds through the movie. Very 80s, 80s music. There's even a scene where the the main character, David, is playing my favorite 80s uh, video game, Galaga. He's like a video game wizard as well. And then um, the movie crests to this, is there going to be nuclear war? And there's not. And they go home, they hug happily ever after. The, the Cold War is over. No, Cold War is not over. Uh, that's lingering out there. But um, that's the movie that we see. So we watch this movie. And as we hop in the car and we're driving back, forget that I'm almost 11 years old and that David and James doesn't exist. I turn to non-existent David and I say, David, what are your first thoughts? That What's the first comments that come out of your mouth after watching this movie? So, uh, being a very studious negative 15 year old, I actually, <laughs> I actually took notes, but, uh, the first two things that stuck out to me are, uh, I wrote down cornbread because at the beginning uh -huh. of the movie, there's this, where his dad is buttering his corn. And it was so <laughs> odd to me because he slathers <laughs> an exorbitant amount of butter on a slice of bread and then wraps it around his corn cob and i was just like this is so odd why did they just included the scene of him just zooming into the corn and i was like why is this here and then it just cuts to him being like this corn is raw uh so yeah, like, yeah. What, what director made the decision like this this is the shot you yeah know? yeah that's so i looked it up and uh you know i went to a library uh dial up internet or something that's probably what was in the 80s i don't know uh and i looked yeah, it up yeah, and the yeah. director the director had said uh, that he was inspired by his by a neo-Nazi man from the army who he saw do that. And it was just so interesting to him that he put it in the movie. <laughs> and then also I wrote, this is a very interesting anti-war movie. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, you bring up so so this is a theme in eighties movies. You have, and if you've watched Stranger Things, you know that because they pull these kind of eighties tropes: the weird, quirky dad, clueless dad, or the clueless mom. So the kids are always on a run, on the run, doing what they do, doing their adventure. But where's mom and dad? Well, they're just kind of living their lives, uh, going to their jobs, getting ready for their jobs. They have no clue what's going on with their kids or the world around them. And so this dad was like taken right out, you know, of like the eighties tropes of the goofy clueless dad who has no idea what's going on. Yeah. It's a life hack to a, a good way to butter your corn is just to kind of lather it on bread and then swirl it around it like a bread corn taco or something. But, um, but part of it was like, yeah, is this dad weird? Yeah, he's an '80s dad. Uh, that's and and the main the main theme is this actor who uh, who is way smarter than his parents. Um, and uh, so so yeah yeah. And you mentioned internet, like yeah, there there's really is an internet now. It's, it's about to happen, late '80s, early '90s. But but the whole like landlines, dial up, computers connected to phones, and and all kind of rotary phones is a big part of like life in the '80s. There was no cordless phones or like cell phones or or bluetooth or that kind of thing everything was connected through like cords uh so so yeah that that was going on yeah and a big theme of this movie is is the cold war and the threat of like nuclear annihilation of of the entire world how's the war going to end where we're just going to lob nukes at each other and so yeah you get to the like spoiler alert the very end of the movie um how why play this game well you can't because there's no one wins in in this game no one wins and there's no winner and there's even legends that like um i watched this one youtube behind it is that ronald reagan um you know, watch this movie from Camp David, uh, like as it debuted over that weekend. And he was inspired uh, to step up the cybersecurity and also like, hey, maybe we should be a little bit more, um, be a little bit more like mindful of who's watching our nukes. So, yeah, yeah, that was a big part of it. Good, good stuff. Uh, James, all right, we're in the car. Uh, not you're, you're just a, a thought you're, 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 let's pretend you're existing at this point. Um, I'm able to drive. And, and the first word is out of your mouth. I'm like, what did you think of the movie, James? What's your first impressions? I just want to go back to a time when they let tour groups tour inside of NORAD's mission control center. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> I'm pushing a random button. In the early movie, there's like this dumb tour group from like Alabama or something like touring NORAD like next to these four star generals with the, with the launch codes. And it's just like, who yeah. let you in here? How did this come to be? Um, so yeah, yeah they yeah. definitely needed to uh, beef up security in a lot of different, uh, a lot of different <laughs> ways. It's funny. I I watched this this movie with my fiance last night, and like twenty minutes in, I think it was probably like near the scene where they were buttering the bread uh, or buttering the corn cob. Uh, she just like <laughs> leans over to me and goes, uh, "Stranger Stranger Things gets their whole vibe from stuff like this." That was her first yep. reaction. She was like, Stranger Things, I get it. I love this show. This all makes sense. It's all part of the plan yep. and formula. And so, yeah, no, it's a it's a good 80s, 80s flick. I've seen it before. My dad um, came up in the 70s and 80s and just like paused there, like in terms of what he likes with film and media. Mm -hmm. And so... Mm -hmm. Growing up, we would just watch movies like this over and over and over again. So I've seen I've seen this one, but it had been probably like 10 or 15 years. Nice. Nice. 
Yeah, I think, you know, um, I mean, I was a kid who grew up in in the 80s, you know, elementary school, middle school, and and I graduated high school in 91. And so, yeah, the the threat, uh, definitely the Cold War era and, and now present day, you know, in terms of security, guns in schools, where people feel safe in schools or not, is is a huge part of the national conversation and, and a, an important political uh, and common sense debate, I feel like we need to have. But there was a the whole there was a level I wasn't necessarily scared of, like um, someone bringing a gun to school and shooting it up. But I was like this threat that at any moment, like someone could push a button and lob a nuclear uh, warhead over to another country and start a world war was a part of our kind of like in the zeitgeist of the time. And and that was pretty freaky. Um, you know, we came out of World War II, the atomic bomb, but then we had like the, the arms race uh, between USA and, and the Soviet Union. And so these, these movies were, were out there. Um, you had like the video game wizard, you know, who is smart. You know, I, I love this aspect that like he's just a school cut up and um, they he's like a, an intelligent underachiever is what they call him at some point. But his character is like he's That's way smarter than his own good. And he, he stumbles upon, um, you know, just happened to stumble upon this kind of AI computer that's learning, but also almost starts a nuclear war. How easy that that could be, um, David. In terms of the pace of an '80s movie and like kind of the theme and the tension, how how did that land with you as as someone who didn't grow up in the '80s? I grew up with this kind of stuff. Even when I'm watching this, coming off of watching the Spider Verse movie, where it's like, man, talk about hyper fast and like lightning speed. Then you go into like this '80s movie, and they're lingering on scenes way too long. I'm like. Like, holy cow. Okay. I get it. Uh, but, but what is, what is your feeling in terms of how it builds from the beginning to like the intention of this uh, almost nuclear war? So, uh, I'm not going to lie. I watched it at 1.25 speed <laughs> yeah. and, and whatever. Whenever there was like that one long scene with the helicopter chasing them down or those long scenes where they just kept driving down long roads or walking up a long tunnel or something, I just switch it up to 1.5 and turn on subtitles in case somebody said something so I'd know when to turn it back. So That's brilliant. Yeah, that two-hour movie probably went down to one and a half hours. Yeah, 80s life hack. I just, you know, speed it up. That's right. It's like it's like a dad buttering his bread to butter the corn. You like you figured it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, other than that, I thought I yeah, thought it was fun. I good. thought the pacing was good. Mm-hmm. What yeah, did you think of like painful. you thought it was the painful? You thought scene, it was the helicopter scene yeah. was painful. The one scene where he's like escaping out of like the makeshift prison cell of a like bathroom in norad like they don't have prison cells in norad oh yeah that took forever like it was just so funny like uh the one scene where like the the airman who's his guard is just like blatantly like sexually harassing like oh yeah the secretary yeah. in the office mm-hmm. and like my fiance nicole was just like what what is happening i was like this was the 80s like this was a ha ha yeah. moment in the 80s like not a ha ha moment anymore <laughs> nor nor was it then yeah right? um nor, nor should it have been them. But yeah, it was just... Yeah, I watched yeah, it with my wife too. Cindy was like, whoa, here we go. Cindy yeah, <laughs> so was like, out like, in the it, open, here we go, sexual harassment. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it, it just like paused at like the like randomest moments to go on yeah. these like 
like, I, you know, the, the orchestral music started going and it was like, you know, this is a high tension scene that's going to last five minutes, but it's like juxtaposed by like impending like thermonuclear war. Right. So it just felt yeah. like, why are we spending precious time in this film on these like dumb scenes and who gave them the acting directions for the helicopter chase scene? Because I just was like, you know, I leaned over to Nicole and I was just like, uh, I guess the director just said like run around and look scared. I don't know. For <laughs> yeah. 20 minutes. That's what it felt like. <laughs> yep. Anyways. Yeah. Pacing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's like, those scenes and then like the the tip like you said like man you, if you watch stranger things you're like oh now i know where they're getting into like this nostalgia of these but stranger things moves a little bit quicker than than this movie but in terms of like okay the plot and like the 80s stuff that are really quin- cringy now that we would hopefully like grown past or say like nope that's that's not something that we should be doing these days in terms of like the plot and kind of the computing and um, the tension between the countries and what was getting ready to happen. Did, how did that hold up for you? Was that something that you felt like, okay, I'm uh, the action It's not an action based thing, but there's definitely some tension there. Did that, does that hold up for you in terms of where we are today? I don't know if it would have 10 or 15 years ago. Like when I was the age of these characters, I was, this was, I was probably like late two thousands and uh, late aughts. And, uh, like Russia was not really, I mean, it was still on the radar on the global scene, but like, I was just not aware of it. Like people seem to have been aware of it all the time, constantly 60s, 70s, 80s. And that's different from today, right? Like today, the last two or three years, really, it probably goes back about 10 years when Russia invaded Crimea and just like Mm -hmm. took that over, you know, it's, it's the tension has felt like increasingly more and more real up and it like climaxed for me um i guess it was gosh last last year a year and a half ago when um russia invaded ukraine like this is yeah. real and happening mm-hmm. and it feels you know more tense than it ever has before so probably not the same level but it, i feel like ironically it's like come back around full circle yeah and then you have the ai computer um conversation of like it's getting smarter. It's learning. You know, they since like since the seventies, eighties, we've always or science fiction. We played around with robots and and you know robots and AI and uh, the questioning what does it mean to be human and and how do we relate to these machines that we create that become self aware. But there's something about this particular computer who um, grows a little not necessarily self aware, but it's learning as it goes. They even say, oh, what's it doing? Oh, it's learning and it's figuring things out on its own. And and we're having this conversation. Day. Someone sent me an article today about, you know, top CEOs, uh, CNN top CEOs uh, feel like that five to 10 years from now, AI could like wipe out humanity. So there's this kind of scare tactics right. about trying to think through about AI, but then you have this computer, uh, the relationship to it. And uh, David, why don't you reveal to the world, what is the name of this computer? What is the name? What do they call this name? What is the nickname? <laughs> do you remember? So... The official name is Whopper uh, because that just – they kept saying that and it always made me laugh because the Burger King commercials. However, the given name by the creator of the computer was Joshua. 
Yeah. And I didn't even remember that when I picked the name, but that's to you, Joshua. Joshua with bad opinions, Joshua with good opinions, our fearless leader who's going to edit this podcast and put it out there. Joshua, this one is for you. The name of the computer that almost blows up the world uh, because it doesn't know any better is Joshua. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And so, so yeah, what did you guys think about the the professor who you kind of the disenfranchised nihilistic professor who, who created oh, Joshua and then, and then like abandoned it? David, what, what you took some notes there. What, what, what are your thoughts, thoughts of this guy? So I, the nihilistic point of view, it was so interesting to me because it was all based on this idea of nature just gave up. And he was talking about the dinosaurs and everything. And so what's interesting is that the reason he said nature just gave up is because the theory of a meteorite taking down the or taking out the dinosaurs wasn't widespread yet. It had only been introduced into the limelight. It was only proposed in 1980. And so uh, you don't see that mentioned at any point before that. That's why Fantasia, the Disney movie. When it originally came out, mm-hmm. the first cut of it has one of the scenes is the dinosaurs all dying from a drought because that was the most widespread uh, theory at oh. the time. It wasn't mm-hmm. widespread mm-hmm. that meteors took out the dinosaurs. It was just widespread that nature just gave up. And so that being the driving force behind his philosophy made it so much funnier to me in retrospect because it was based on a faulty view of yeah. The nice. Earth's history. And, you know, I didn't make this connection till now. You just said that. It what it wasn't that the dinosaurs gave up. They got wiped out by like a meteor exploding and making them extinct. And so part of this movie is that it's not a meteor, it's us throwing meteors at each other and wiping out the planet uh, because of nuclear fallout. So the dinosaurs left because of nuclear fallout from a meteor from space, but this isn't some like random asteroid ramming itself into our planet. But we have the power to wipe everybody out. We give up on each other by wiping each other out uh, by meteors that we're throwing at each other's country for nuclear fallout. So that's that's a big part of of this movie. Yeah. So I love that little speech. You know, you kind of the, the mystery of why this guy just kind of became disenfranchised. You know, his son named Joshua died. Um, I don't think they ever revealed how, right? It was just that perhaps he died. It was a car accident. It was a car accident. Car accident. Car accident, and then um, so he just kind of gave up, and and so they had to convince this professor to come help them convince Joshua the computer uh, to not give up, but to to hack the code so we don't blow each other up. Forcing it to learn. There's this great, there's this great line, and I don't think it's a. I, I always pay attention to names. Um, yeah. And the main character's last name is David Lightman, like he's shedding mm-hmm. some sort of light into this situation. Um, Uh So I don't know if there's, Uh that's just a coincidence, but I don't believe in coincidence, especially in film. Um, So there's this great exchange where like they've made uh, their way um, to Falcons, who is the disenfranchised professor's like secret hidden house uh, where he's living after faking his death. And they get into this argument and uh, just a great sort of, two-line exchange. Extinction is a part of a natural order. And then we get uh, David Lightman just exclaiming bullshit right back at him. You know, like that nihilistic point of view is bullshit. Um, And it just, 
not to offend anyone, if you have a nihilistic point of view out there, I have flirted with it myself, um, as I think we all do in uh, this century that we're living in. But uh-huh. it's interesting for me, the questions I walked away with, um, what makes life worth living and like mm-hmm. connected to that in like the context of this movie, what makes a game worth playing, right? Uh. Because the mm-hmm. way that they like triggered Joshua, the computer to like learn was to basically make it play tic-tac-toe against itself. And at the end of yeah. like running countless simulations, it determines you can't win this game. Like it's going to be a draw. As long as two rational agents are playing this game, it, it's going to be a draw every single time without human error. Yeah. Um, and so then it applied that logic to the global thermonuclear war and saw there's no way to win, right? There is no yeah. way to win. Yeah. And so it's, mm-hmm. it stops playing the game. It just backs away from playing the game and wants to play chess instead because there is a clear winner and a clear loser in chess. There's strategy that's involved. Um, there's a win and loss column, whereas games like tic-tac-toe or <laughs> global thermonuclear war, uh, there's no winner. Yeah. Yeah, so, so the moral of this movie, yeah, the what what makes it worth playing. The moral of, of this of this movie is the the only winning move is to not play the game, and and so we it, we kind of talk about the games we play in life, whether it's uh, you know the economic game, achievement game, uh, war, power, you know, control, all those things. The the only winning move is is to not play. And then it asks him over at the beginning of the movie, "Wouldn't you rather play chess?" He's like, "No, I want to play this global thermonuclear war game." And he's like, "Okay, fine, we'll we'll play that." But but man, shouldn't we at the end of this movie is like with with a threat of nuclear weapons, uh, maybe we should just play chess instead. Uh, maybe we shouldn't play around with um, nuclear annihilation. <laughs> So the takeaway is that world leaders should just play chess with each other. Yeah, I think so. I think that's it. Why not? Settle their differences that way. Yeah, and they don't even have to fly to see each other in person. They can do it online. They can do it through Zoom. Like, you know, they, they can do that. They can just kind of hang out online like we're hanging out now in different places and, and play chess and, you know, call it a day at the end of the day. They don't even have to like finish the chess game in an hour, they can like let it linger for weeks and months because you know it takes time to to do a move. So, yeah, I think that's the that's the moral of 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 the story here. And yeah, I I appreciate you guys like entertaining this '80s movie. I had fun going back and and having some nostalgia with with some '80s um, life and and this movie and and thinking about you know the time as it was in the '80s when I didn't have to worry about a cell phone uh, that you know I had to get to a payphone. Or, or a landline if I wanted to call anybody and perhaps I could go out and play or do whatever I want to do. My parents wouldn't care. They were just like, oh, I'll just be back in time for dinner. Um, yeah, real thoughts on on like the um, our female protagonist, like Jennifer. How, how do you think she played out in this? I mean, she wasn't, they, make, they didn't necessarily make her the dumb girlfriend. She was pretty smart, but she's very interested to like have David take the lead and kind of watch and marvel at what he was doing. How do you think Jennifer was portrayed in, in the movie? She's very active. They, every time they'd cut to her, she'd be exercising somehow. She'd be running or like <laughs> doing yoga or stretching or something. I'm like, what is this girl training for? And then, of course, they reveal it later. She was going to be on TV or something. But I was like, are they just putting this in here just to have her do something when the scene opens? So yeah, yeah. Uh, that was something. I like that she was proactive. Um, yeah. So like how, mm-hmm. she, how she showed up at the airport. I like that. I like that, you know, she's just – 
She's not just like, oh, you're on your own. She said, oh, you sounded like you needed help. I, I just came down here. Yeah. Yeah. She's a good moral compass for him. Um, yeah, I like the aspect of like, there's this aspect of like, you know, everybody can stream on online or have a YouTube channel or a podcast or be on TV. And they were like, eight, you know, it was a big deal to be on TV. It was like, you're going to be on TV? That's amazing. Like that's, oh, yeah. oh my gosh, I'm going to watch it. I can't believe you're going to be on TV. I mean, I could go on my TV right now and pull up one of my church servers and there I am, hear myself talk. But like there in the eighties, if you were on like one of the channels and had your own show or on a TV, that was a pretty big deal. Pretty big deal. <laughs> cool, y'all. Any final thoughts as we land this plane, as we start up the car and start to head home? Anything else uh, uh, about this movie that we're leaving out? Oh, man. We just need to have a whole second podcast on like AI and machine learning because we really didn't even like begin to scratch the yeah. surface. All the stuff we could talk about there. There's a great line at the beginning of the movie where they're debating whether or not to install this like automated computer system like control the missile uh -huh. like the icbm missile launch protocol and the opening scene of the film is this really provocative like there are people underground going through a missile drill test they don't know what to drill one guy won't turn the key to push the button to launch the missiles and then right. they cut to this debate about whether to have the computers come in and the guy advocating for it is saying that the, the, the guys in the missile silos their only fault is being human mm. Mm -hmm. And how much of mm -hmm. like AI and machine learning is like trying to cover up from our faults, uh, trying to cover our faults, but like inherently because we design it right as like broken fallen creatures, like yeah. those faults just get coded right back in, which is like what we just, you know, the whole, the entire movie that's like that playing out. Yeah. That's a strong point. Even like self-driving cars, there's like, oh, you're taking out the human element of like whether to choose to hit somebody or not, you know, or if you're you're out of control, you know, the, those kinds of things, the, the implicit bias that we put into machines that, that make those decisions for us is, is pretty important. Yeah, this is supposed to be quick hits and we could actually go way deep into that. And I, I, yeah. we'll, we'll continue to talk about AI and and robots because it's not going anywhere. And, and for me, I'm always... Um, you know, I don't want to be the alarmist. I want to be like, well, this is something that we can create and be good stewards of. How do we use it? It's not whether we should or shouldn't use it or was inherently bad, but, but how do we, how are we a good steward of this thing? Same way with the emergence of the internet, same way with nuclear energy, same, how, how do we use it? We can use it as a weapon and we can use it to suppress and, and exploit people, or are we going to use it in a way to enhance life? And so that's, those are the questions that I think that hopefully we can take a breath and slow down and, and continue to ask. And that's where philosophy and theology and, and religion and faith can come in and ask some of those big questions. Um, not, not whether can we do it um, or should we do it, but, but how are we going to use it to, to enhance life? So those are all great questions. And yeah, here is this movie from 1983 already playing around with this idea of computers and, and AI, which is why I picked it. That's pretty good. Okay. So thank you all for listening. We have one final question as we wrap up uh, our, our first episode of, of the drive-in summer series. Uh, you know, we talk about um, some of our favorite snacks when we binge TV shows or go into movie theater. This is perhaps a little different. We're in our car, we drive, we're sitting in the parking lot. Um, what, uh, David, what snack do you bring? What do you bring with you to the drive-in that is like essential? You're, you're watching this movie. What do you bring with you? Uh, to to this tailgate uh, drive-in series? Uh, I would probably bring a lot of Cheez-Its. 
you know they're just there's so many different <laughs> nice. flavors and it's just it's just a great chilling snack to have jesus i like that choice i like that choice james how about you uh mine is purely nostalgia based um growing up seeing movies with my mom her favorite movie snack was always those little chocolate covered raisinets and the yellow boxes yeah and we would get them every time we saw a movie you know what i'm talking about um hopefully you're salivating like i'm salivating so that is definitely what i would bring (laughs) with me those are quintessential movie snacks nice Nice. Yeah, I'm sure there's a concession stand there at at the uh, drive-in. You know, that's how they make money uh, selling selling um, popcorn very expensively uh, to people. And I and I'm I love myself some popcorn, movie popcorn. That's what I go to every time. And and I do like a, a good cold beer. But we we talked about this before. Like, what do you bring to a drive-in? You're driving. You probably shouldn't open have open container in your in your car when you're driving. So I'm gonna bring if we're tailgating. I'm gonna bring some some chicken. Maybe go to Bojang, Bojangles and get get some. Uh, uh, a big old eight piece um, dinner and, and share with my friends and, and do some bojangles. So that's, I'm doing some fried chicken um, as we, as we watch the movie. That's, that's what I'm bringing to this one. So I just need to uh, point of clarification here. Um, every movie we saw was like a drive-in movie in that sense, because we never bought those concession stands uh, food, but my mom, she had a real big purse. That's all I'm saying. We made made a couple pit stops along the way. (laughs) Yeah. You got to pull in, you got to pull in the gas station on the way in. You drive, as you're driving in, you got to, you know, put, put the, (laughs) you want to buy $8 candy. You want to buy like $1.50, put it in your purse. And there you go. There you go. Amen and amen. Amen. Well, thank you all for listening to this series. We have fun. We'll, uh, James has a pick. We're gonna, not going to reveal it yet, uh, but but a little bit later on this in the summer, we're going to watch his movie and that he of his choice, and we'll we'll drive up to the theater to watch the movie, and then we'll share our hot takes on that. We hope you enjoy the series, and we hope that you have a wonderful, wonderful summer geeking out with us. This was an Anazal Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, be sure to check out the Anazal Ministries podcast network.